Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. So the story of the prodigal son is probably one of the best known and best loved stories in scripture. Even those um, who are not of the Christian tradition probably could um, understand if you said something like the prodigal came home. It's a really powerful story about the kingdom of God and about God's forgiveness and God's grace. It begins because people want to know why is Jesus eating with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, all the people that society says say are unworthy. And Jesus envisions a kingdom in which those who are once far off or are brought near. Or as Paul says so powerfully in his letter to the Corinthians, that we no longer see you from a human point of view, but we see you as Christ sees you. In today's story, it opens with the younger brother going to the father and saying, Father, I want my inheritance now. In essence, he is going to his father and he says, Father, I wish you were dead. Just go on and get me what I'm going to get one day. And there was no way for the father to give his son his portion of the inheritance privately, right? He couldn't call his broker and say, hey, I need to cash out some of my 401k or go and sell my stock in IBM. He had to sit there and go publicly and sell land and sell livestock. He would have heaped shame upon the family. Bailey, who's, uh, Dr. Bailey, who's a New Testament scholar and specializes sort of in the exchange between first century Middle East culture and the New Testament story, says that if this story wasn't a parable, but describing actual events, it is likely that the older son would have killed his father to reclaim family honor, right? Sometimes we'll hear stories of people um, and, and, and that culture who still to this day, there are honor killings, right? You kill somebody uh, in your family in order to reclaim honor towards the family. And so Bailey says that if this story had been real, it would very much likely that the older son response would have been to kill his dad in order to redeem them in the wider culture. So the younger son runs off, and um, pretty soon his money runs out. He's, um, you know, working as a hired hand. He's, he's looking at what the pigs are eating, and he goes, man, that looks good. And in a Jewish culture, the younger son has hit rock bottom. It's hard to be the younger brother swimming life in shame and dishonor. This Lent, one of the songs that I have been listening to or albums I've been listening to over and over again is American Aquarium's Lamentations. We had BJ, who's the, the lead in American Aquarium, did a pop-up concert here at the church on, on New Year's Day. Very powerful stuff. And he tells this story in one of his songs about a, about a, a, a mom and a child who are killed as a result of his drunk driving. And he sings these words. 
These days, things don't come easy. It's all I can do at most to keep it between the lines. I'd, if I had done a better job of listening, baby, you would still be mine. There's a sense in which the things that we regret, the younger brother who knows that he has done everything wrong, how do you redeem yourself? How do you, how do you move on? How do you, um, how, how do you come to yourself and say, I've got to do something differently? I think about sometimes there was a movie, you know, probably in the 90s. It started, uh, starred Bette Midler. Bette Midler was sort of this middle-class, blue-collar person um, who had had a one-night stand with a, somebody from like a really upper-class family, produced a child, and you kind of see this child growing up over the years. And finally, she is being uh, married into one of the uh, Northeast's best and um, most respected families. And in one particular scene, Bette Midler's character realizes that she is an affront and an embarrassment and she is a source of shame to upper-class Northeast society. And she decides it's better for her to cut off her child than to subject her child to the trauma of shame. We as humans do a whole lot to avoid the feeling of shame. We deny it. We tell counter stories. We self-medicate. It's one of the interesting things. I don't know who has had a chance to see um, the new Batman movie. In my mind, Batman is still Michael Keaton, but um, I guess Robert Pattinson will do fine. The new Batman movie takes place just shortly after Batman, Bruce Wayne, becomes, um, you know, a thing. And it's sort of about Batman's development as a hero or as a savior of Gotham City. And the reality is that in, at the beginning of the movie is, is that Batman is not seen as a savior. Batman is seen as a source of fear and of vengeance. One person reflecting on this movie says the bat symbol in the sky has the same effect as the church does for lots of people. For some who operate under the criminal element, sinners, they drive by the church with a look of fear and of disdain. It represents for them an accusatory finger from the heavens threatening them vengeance in the form of brimstone, fire, and hell for the deeds that they wish they had not done. For those who don't view themselves in such a sinful light, the church is a symbol that God will get those sinners one day with his vengeance. Much like a law-abiding citizen in the movie who looks up at the bat symbol on a rainy night in Gotham. Sometimes the idea of coming to redemption, of coming to salvation, of coming and hearing the good news of the gospel, we don't think it's for us. Sure, it's for you, but not for me, because you don't know what it is that I have done. And yet in this story, when the people ask Jesus, Jesus, why is it that you eat with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and all the wrong people. Jesus tells this story, and he tells the story of a father who looks out 
for his son. I'm a huge fan of Snoopy. And in the classic Snoopy Come Home, the story you get is the backstory of Snoopy who had once been the owner, who once belonged to somebody else and encounters her, and Snoopy feels the obligation to go to his original owner's house. So he leaves Charlie Brown, he leaves everything that he knows, and he goes and he is miserable in his new place. Luck has it, they move into this apartment and there's a no dogs allowed sign and Snoopy is joyous at being able to go home. He knows I can't stay here. And we see in the movie as Snoopy is coming home, his buddy Woodstock is going out every day looking for Snoopy, whistling the song, waiting for Snoopy to whistle back. And one day, in fact, Snoopy responds to Woodstock's whistles. It's much like the father who in this story each day must have gone to the top of his house and looked out to see if this is the day that his son would return. And it tells us in this story that when his son was far off, he saw him and he began to run. Now, one of my things that I love more than anything is to watch like soldier coming home videos when they surprise people, right? And always there's someone who runs to the person who's returned with a big hug. That did not happen in this culture. You did not run. Men did not run. Why did we get rid of that? (laughs) So again, this father is showing a sign of shame by hiking up his thing and running to go greet his son who is home. Going back to the story of Batman, by the end of the film, this young Batman has come to the realization that his efforts to save the helpless city of Gotham after rescuing citizens from the Riddler's destructive plans, a victim clings to Batman reluctant to let go and be taken away by medics. It's the first time he's seen something other than fear in the eyes of Gotham citizens. He realizes the city doesn't need vengeance and fear. Fear has only created more problems and further, and, and, and further driven the city into its demise. Fear has created even more villains and inspired others to inflict the same fear on others. Instead, the disturbed city of Gotham needs hope. Fear doesn't change things. It paralyzes. It makes people move out of necessity and desire for safety, willing to do anything so that they can feel safe for a night. But when you feel hope, when you feel hope, you have the freedom to roam. There's a pep in your step, something, someone who pulls you out of paralysis, tells you that it's okay to be free, that perhaps it's safe to go out again. Thus we see in the beginning from, of how Batman eventually becomes an image of salvation as opposed to a vengeful judgment. Gotham can look up from the shadowy night and see the hopeful glow of the bat signal and not feel fear. Perhaps that one day, too, people can see a cross and not feel fear 
or shame or vengeance, but feel hope, feel love, feel safe. Amen.